My name is Awaranguru. I am a freshman in Berkeley College. Um, I'm remote right now in Nairobi, Kenya, and I plan to be on campus in January. And I'm going to be reading my opinion column that I wrote on September 28th titled Black Woman's Eulogy. In my native village of Kendu Bay, Kenya, funerals are meant to canonize the dead. The first rite of many is performed by women. Early at dawn, they arrive at the homestead of the deceased to wail, pacing about and lamenting death. The sound gives one goosebumps and it seems to last forever. We call it Gio. The literal meaning of this word is to howl, like a wolf or dog. A grief so deep, all you can do is open your mouth and groan. Six months ago, a black woman was shot by law enforcement officers in her home. She died next to a man that she loved a man that was trying to protect her. Last week, the Lord denied her any chance to die with dignity. My instinct is to weep loudly. So is my mother's. Together, we pause to pace the floor and yell about it. Inside ourselves, however, we sit in an empty room and weep. I am weeping now. A more cynical area of my mind isn't surprised. When have black women ever been allowed anything except civility? Every day we must add more burdens to our shoulders, including our own. Those of us who have families must keep their daughters safe, their sons and fathers alive. Those of us that are young must dream each dream with several grains of salt. All of us second guess every second of our lives. Every year of my life since I gained consciousness of my blackness, I have constantly had to ask myself, does my goal accommodate me? I find myself trying to preempt the bullets, like a fly trying to find shelter in the rain. I want to write. Is writing a career for me? Are the things I want things that accommodate black women? A career, a future, joy, love? Were these things that happened to girls with darker skin? And then Brianna Taylor was shot in her home and my fears were confirmed. Brianna was everything that I ever wanted to be. A black woman who was not just successful in her job, but loving her job. A black woman with a lover who took care of her. A black woman with a family that was proud of her. A black woman who allowed herself to dream, to set goals and to excel at them. When she died, all I could think about was how her lover could not save her. Her family could not save her. And now, the only people who could give her dignity, the three judges who could have spoken the truth, have turned their backs on her. All I could think about was myself and other black women seeing ourselves in her, seeing our deaths over and over and over again. The end of dreams. Because I am a black woman, I have allowed Brianna's death to eat me. Because I am a black woman, Brianna's death equals mine. Her treatment equals mine. Her glory equals mine. I cannot let her die this way. I'm trying to honor Brianna the way I know best, Gio. I have allowed myself to be consumed with the thought that someone like me could be asleep one moment and dead the next. I have allowed myself to spend my nights weeping, almost wailing at the fact that my sister died and has been treated like an animal. Have we taken time to grieve Brianna? Have we taken time to be sad about her, not as a political metaphor, but as a person? as a black woman who shouldn't have died. Our activism, although altruistic in every form, 
has taken away the humanity of this woman. By allowing her to enter the metaphysical world, we have forgotten what is most important, the loss of human life. Black women in particular have historically been denied this ability to grieve. On the outside, we are talking smack, being angry, being violent. On the inside, however, we are expressing a deep and heartfelt loss. This grief is always used against us to show that we are too emotional, too volatile for our thoughts and feelings to hold water. Stifled, we take this emotion to the streets, to social media. We turn it into public dissent. We are angry, but not too angry. We rein ourselves in not to make anyone too uncomfortable. Bypassing this important stage, however, actively denies or deceased any humanity. Instead of accessing our emotions, we choose to use Brianna as a poster for our ideological battles. One of the more radical forms of resistance for black women, therefore, is expressing that grief. Allowing ourselves to recognize our pain and not hide it from the world could be the strongest weapon in this fight for our lives. When the world is forced to confront us, people are reminded of the person who died, not just the political martyr or the meme. During Gio, the women pace around the compound and beat their chests. Sometimes they sing for hours of everything that the deceased was and everything they have left behind. They sing of their glory, of their legacy, and of the promise that the community will carry on their vision. Brianna, like every black woman, deserves this. You mentioned in your column that every year of your life, since you gained consciousness of your blackness, you have constantly had to ask yourself whether your goal accommodates you. When was that moment for you and how did it shape your actions and understanding of the world? Did transitioning from, I guess, online from Kenya to the United States play a role in your forming your personal identity and understanding of your blackness? Yes, I first came to America in 2018 to attend an art summer camp, which was the best year, best summer of my life, changed my life, actually. I don't think without interlocking, I don't think I'd be here today. But that was also the first time that I had to exist as a black person. Because in Kenya, you know, everybody's black, you know, and there are, I did go to an international school. And so I did know people of very many different races, cultural identities, national identities, but still I existed in the majority. You know, if when I left school, I went to the mall where everybody was black, I went to church where everybody was black, I went to, you know, I lived in a neighborhood where everybody was black. And so coming to America was the first place where it was like, oh, um, everybody here is not, you're not the majority. And, 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 and it seems that everybody is labeling you as your blackness, which was the first time I ever had to, to grapple with that. Because in Kenya, I exist as a war. I don't exist as a black woman. I don't exist as a feminist woman. I mean, I do in Kenya, but not to the sense that when I came to America, all those intersections sort of became louder, I think, is, is the only way I can describe it. And so, and also just watching racism and experiencing racism, perhaps for the first time in America in 2018, led me to think a, a lot about how the things I want are affected by my racial identity, 
how, you know, I have a lot of white friends because I went to an international school and they're always like, oh, you know, I want to work in the White House and I want to be a fashion model and I want to work in corporate. And every single one of those things that seems so normal to a person who's not of color Every single person of color and every single black woman has to think, yikes, okay, so I want to work in the White House. Does the White House have a history of hiring black women? What would it be like to work in the White House as a black woman? Could I get hired? Would they hire me? Would I interview? Um, you know, <laughs> and so there's, there's all these sort of secondary, tertiary questions that a black woman has to ask herself when creating any goal that she aspires to. And I think the fact that we have to create those questions makes the fulfillment of those goals, I feel, even more worth it because it means that I've jumped two hurdles. I've jumped the ordinary hurdle of, you know, getting the job, fulfilling the dream, but I've also fulfilled the hurdle of doing it as a black woman, as someone who, you know, stereotypically, but also very tangibly in terms of the statistics, has gone against the odds. How has Gayo impacted your understanding of loss and grief? Because you mentioned it a lot of times throughout the article. Uh, yeah, I can talk a lot about. I can talk more about Gio. Um, when I when I, so I come from a tribe in Kenya called the Luo tribe. There's very many tribes in Kenya. I think almost if I could do an approximate fifty different tribes and fifty different languages, fifty different cultural backgrounds. But mine is Luo, which is the second biggest tribe in Kenya. And when I published this, <laughs> all of my like my dad's friends who are like Luo people are known for being really like studious and we are poets. The history of our culture is one of poetry and one of one of dance and one of art and culture and just intellectual sort of outreach. And so when I published this, all the Lua people were like, you shouldn't have used Gio. Gio is not the word. The actual technical word is <laughs> A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I was like, this is so amazing. But Gio for me, I experienced Gio when I went first to my grandfather's funeral. Not my direct grandfather, but um, in Kenya and in Luo culture, every the brother of your grandfather is still your grandfather. Um, and the cousin of your grandfather is still your grandfather. So one of those grandfathers, we went to his funeral in December. And I remember at six in the morning, there's just this screaming. And I thought something had happened. I thought there was a fire. I thought, and there's this screaming and wailing because the funeral was occurring in the homestead that me and my brother were staying at my grandmother's house. And so in the morning, there's just this, I can't, let me try and create the image for the listener. It's just, it's like a cock crowing, but it's someone screaming for like four to five hours and women are crying and, and shouting and yelling. And it was kind of scary. I don't think I was that old. I think I was 11, 12, 13. And so I remember asking my mom, what's going on? Has something happened? Is there an emergency? And she says, no, they're, they're mourning. And this is the first time that I had ever experienced mourning as an outburst of emotion. Usually, and in the media, when you think of mourning, it's people, you know, silently weeping and wiping their tears away with a handkerchief and standing solemnly at the grave of the deceased. But for the first time, I learned that in my culture, mourning's a performance, almost. You know, it's supposed to be, it's almost like you're supposed to earn the right to be sad by showing everybody this is how much I cared about this person. This is how much that I can say about that person. And for Brianna, I actually wrote this article the day I heard of the news of the court ruling that they were not charging the police officers with murder and they were charging them with something else. And I remember feeling that feeling of I wanted to, to run in the streets and, and shout. I wanted everybody to know how angry I am and how sad I am that this woman has died and that we haven't even been able to 
to give her the justice of dying a, a dignified death, you know? Her death is is being described as something that happened collaterally. And I remember that feeling and just, I remember talking to my mom about Gyo and how she said that it's it's supposed to be that you remember the person that has died. You speak of everything that has happened in their life, while at the same time speaking of how almost desperation, how it doesn't make any sense, but how desperate you are that they are dead and how the, the emotions are are desperate. And so that's what Gyo is for me. And that's why I decided to talk about it in this opinion article. And I, I hope that, I know that this is not a feeling that is that is exclusive to being Luo. I know the feeling of grief or of bad things happening and feeling helpless and or feeling angry towards it is something that happens to a lot of us. And I think maybe I've given you guys a word for it now. You can borrow it and use it when you feel the sort of grief that I felt that day. You you make a distinction between grieving the death of Brianna Taylor as a political symbol versus as a person. Why do you think it is important to emphasize this distinction? I think popular media has shown us, and especially with the Brianna situation, that there exists a danger when somebody's life or somebody's death becomes popular. There exists a danger of the person sort of transcending normal human life and becoming the sort of intangible spirit world thing. And in the process of canonizing them, we forget that they lived a life, you know? And I think what made me the angriest where I felt that I needed to grieve was that Brianna used to walk to the store and buy milk and buy bread and take it back home and make sandwiches. Brianna used to call her mom in the evening and tell her about her day. Brianna used to go on dates with her boyfriend. And I remember this is, this is one image that I always think about. And that's actually the image that made me just go, oh my gosh, is when she's posing. There's a photo of her and she's posing to get her photo taken. And she looks absolutely amazing. And I was like, Brianna was a woman like all of us women who cared about how she looked and who enjoyed feeling good and looking good and who enjoyed having photos taken of herself. And I think remembering that memory is so much more special to me than the memory of this political martyr that we've made her. Also, I'd like to speak about how the process of sort of canonizing her has sort of also brought some disrespect into the pot of 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 Brianna Ness where people, you know, create TikToks and, and use Brianna Taylor as clickbait. People say like Brianna Taylor at the end of sentences to, to seem socially correct or politically correct. And I, I don't I don't like that. And I don't think that that's what I don't think that's what this movement is about. And I think we can bring ourselves back to the core of the movement if we remember that we're fighting for individual people, that we're fighting for people who would have gone out with us, would have drank with us, would have ate with us, would have shared joy and life with us. I think that's and that's I think that's what the core of the Black Lives Matter movement is, is that these are people who who want to, to live the way we are continuing to live today and whose lives were cut short by a system that has failed them. You emphasize the importance of grief as a form of resistance for black women specifically. How has the expression of grief and sorrowness shaped your life after the death of Brianna Taylor? I think I've been living my days since Brianna Taylor's death with a sort of reverence. I think I realize and I recognize that Brianna is is me, as I say in the in the op-ed. 
that she I mean she looks exactly like me in terms of <laughs> body type you know <laughs> facial type how she like to do her hair how she like to dress and I, I I have a special I feel a special connection to Brianna because she didn't just look like me like because she's a black woman but she looked like literally like me you know my height my weight the way we look the same and so I I think a lot nowadays about how I'm carrying the torch and how my very intimate connection to her can manifest in my everyday life. How can I be a student at Yale? Um, how can I be a daughter, a sister, a niece, etc., etc., and continue to live the life that I think Brianna would have wanted to live? I remember reading somewhere, and I might not be correct, um, but I remember reading somewhere that she, a few, sometime before she died, she called her mom and told her about her dreams. And she was really excited and she was making plans about this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to step up. And I want to be the realization of that dream. And I think my grief since writing the article has changed from this outburst to this sort of determination to be or to become what she couldn't become. You know, and, 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 and God knows what's going to happen. I go to school in America. It's probably the most unsafe place to be as a black person on this planet nowadays. But despite that, I feel determined to, as I said before, um, to to live in defiance of all the odds that are stacked against me. And last question. Um, racial injustice and police violence is a particularly difficult topic to discuss for many. How are you hoping to influence black women and your readers in general through your writing? And how has writing about those issues influenced you? I think this is my favorite question, but also the hardest question. <laughs> my my writing, I think, has always been about me being a Black woman. The very first poem I wrote, and this is so embarrassing for people in the public to hear this, but I think it's, it's, it's pertaining to my point, so I'm going to just have to expose myself a little bit. The very first poem I wrote was about a boy who didn't like me because I was fat and because I was Black. And I, I remember... I, I've never felt, I never felt a sourness like that, like like I felt that day. I remember writing a poem, I wrote it in red ink because I was feeling like vindictive and I was like, this is going to be <laughs> revenge. And I wrote the poem and it rhymed, it sucked because it rhymed. But through that writing, I felt free. Even if no one read it, it felt like I've released all this into the world and into the void whether it reaches someone whether it doesn't reach someone it exists it's real my pain is real when I write about joy my joy is real because I've written about it because it exists in words and I write I continue to write because of that and I continue to write for black women and for everybody you know everybody that I feel deserves a voice or everyone that I identify with because I want to immortalize whatever has been going on in my mind, in their mind, in the collective mind of society and the world. In terms of racial injustice, I wanted black women to feel, to find a home in my op-ed, to read it and know that I'm here, I'm probably feeling the same thing as you, you're probably feeling the same thing as me. I also wrote it to connect in a very roundabout way to other black women that might read it. And to know that this is not the end of the story. Brianna's death although people are making it seem like, you know, it's bygones, is not. Because I've written, because people have written, this is going to be something that remains until 
the end of time and people are going to read it that are going to be our great great maybe great time 60 grandchildren and and she will still live through words and that's something that's really important to me for people that are not black women i write because i want you to understand what it's like i want you to try as much as you can even though you feel it's impossible try as much as you can to get even an ounce of what we live through every day and i think if everybody tried their very hardest to receive an ounce you know we'd eventually have a liter of empathy and understanding and passion to create a better world not only for black women but for everybody who's suffering right now i also want to encourage conversation i feel like a lot of people who are not people of color or not black feel afraid to reach out to black people because there there is this like I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna rehash my trauma for you i'm not gonna keep telling you about how much it sucks to be a black woman just so you can get some education out of it but i think i don't think you would be wrong if you say i read this article and even if that's not how you feel it, it touched me and i want you to know that i'm here for you i don't think it would be a bad thing if um if you saw someone suffering or you read about someone suffering and you said I might not know what this means or I might not be able to feel this but I'm here for you and and I and I believe you and I'm going to support you if you need support and I think that's the role that non-black and non-black POC people can play in this journey. Thank you so much Awar for this great discussion and for your column. And thank you everybody for listening to The Angle. Stay tuned for the next episodes 